Okay, today our passage is Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 16. Next week's passage is Acts chapter 5, verses 17 through 33. So if you include today, we have three more Sundays left in Acts chapter 5. And I think all three are going to be pretty exciting. Acts chapter 5, I think, is one of the most exciting chapters of the Bible. (laughs) There's a lot of wild things that happen. But following Jesus uh, is quite the adventure. So it would be appropriate to have stories such as this be recorded for us so that we can learn, so that we can grow, so that we can see what it is that God wants for us and from us. I'll read Acts chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets And laid them on cots and mats. That as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits. And they were all healed. Let's take a few minutes, read this to yourself. And uh, when the time's right, your table leader will get your discussion started. I think we've had some healthy discussion at both tables. What we're going to do is we're just going to go through this phrase by phrase, idea by idea. I want to unpack it. I want to make it clear. So we're in Acts chapter 5. What is the book of Acts? It talks. Uh, the book of Acts is the story of what happened after Jesus died and rose again. He lived his life, he died, he rose again, and about 40 days after he rose again, he went straight up into heaven to be with God. That's where he is now. And after that, he sent the Holy Spirit, and then the church began. Yep, if you know Jesus, you're part of the church. If you're gathered here today, then you're gathering with God's people to worship Jesus, and that is the purpose of the church. And so... As we're going through the book of Acts, we're just seeing the very beginning, the very early days of the church. And what we're seeing over and over again is that things are quite different. How it started is quite different from how it is today. And if you've paid attention to me at all, then you know that I believe strongly that we as God's people today need to head back in this direction. To where these early believers were. I don't know that everything would, that we could ever try to make everything the same, and I don't think we should, but I do believe that God's power was present with his people in a special way back then that most of his people today don't know anything about. So, how does our passage start out today? Well, it starts by speaking very generally. It says that many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. Now, who are the apostles? Well, they are the 12 men who lived and walked and lived their life with Jesus. 
Uh, during Jesus' last three years of his life, he chose 12 people. Uh, one of them actually killed himself, and, and he was replaced by someone else. But there's 12 men here, and they're all in Jerusalem, and they all were with Jesus, and, and, and they, God gave them a job. And he says, I want you all to make disciples. And so they're actually the leaders of the church. The church is only in Jerusalem at this time, from, from what we know from the book of Acts, And look at what they were doing. They were regularly doing signs and wonders. What is a sign and wonder? It's a miracle. It's a miracle. It's God breaking through and doing something supernatural. You know, God created the world with natural laws and there's order. And we know that gravity keeps us on the ground. And we know if, you know, someone's arm gets broken, it takes time to heal. And God just made it that way. But occasionally, God steps in and he does something really special that science has no explanation for. He, sometimes God steps in and he, does some, he, he undoes the damage and the harm that's been done in our world. And he'll do it in a sudden way. He'll do it in a surprising way. He'll do it in a way that will radically change the direction of somebody's life. So we know there's been a healing in the book of Acts, but we see signs and wonders What are some signs and wonders that happen in the Bible? Think about in the book of Exodus, they're about to leave. God's people are about to leave Egypt and God does a sign. He does a wonder. It's amazing. There's no explanation for it. But the Red Sea was parted and they walked through on dry land. The passage we looked at last week, there was a husband and wife who did a horrible thing. And the husband, God killed him. Just reached right down and killed the man because of the awful thing he did. And three hours later, God did the same thing to his wife. Because they were posers. And they were stingy. They were pretending to love God. They were guilty of great hypocrisy and they didn't love God. They just liked their stuff. Or maybe the notoriety that came from their supposed act of generosity. You know, that that was a, a powerful sign of judgment. And what does a sign do? A sign points you to something or someone else. So these signs, these wonders were pointing people towards the gospel, towards the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, this was done by the apostles. Let me ask you this. Are they the only ones that would do miracles in the book of Acts? Did miracles stop with them when they died? Some people go so far to say that God doesn't do any more miracles because we have all of the Bible is written. In 1 Corinthians uh, 13, it says when the perfect comes, we're not going to need those special things anymore. And some people say that that perfect is the word of God. But if you look at that passage closely, that's not what it is at all. That perfect is the return of Christ. And and God, when when Jesus comes back, he's going to make all the wrong things right. And then the miracles will no longer be needed because there won't be anything left to fix. Yes, the apostles did miracles. But I believe that in the church, that God wants to do miracles for his people today. And I also believe that the outside world, the people in our world that are far from God, that aren't in a healthy church, that people that haven't had a radical encounter with Jesus, if they saw the power of God in our lives, if they saw miracles happening, Through us, 
It would radically change how people feel about church. It would radically change how people feel about Jesus. They may take Jesus seriously. Many people in our community, they think, I have no need to go to church. There's nothing but hypocrites there, and it's all politics. And, you know, I know the games that people play, and I know this, and I know that. And God is saying, no, the church is not supposed to be like that. The church is supposed to be a group of people who love God and who love people and who also, as, as this passage and some recent passages show us, the church is supposed to be people who walk in the power of God. Look at Acts chapter 6. Flip over a page. Acts chapter 6, verse 8. It says, Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Stephen was not an apostle. Flip over another page to Acts chapter 8 and look at verse 6. Acts chapter 8, verse 6. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. Let's go ahead and read verse 7. For unclean spirits... Crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in the city. Okay, those are two men. They, they were leaders in the church, and we're going to learn how they became leaders in the church in, in a couple weeks. But they were not apostles. They were God's people who were given the gift to be able to do miracles. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says that for some people in the church... They've been given a spiritual gift of power to do miracles. They, they, and these people will see opportunities to pray over someone and just have that person be healed. They might even operate in such a way like Peter and John did. Do you remember the first miracle that happened in Acts chapter 3? There was the lame man at the gate of the temple. And the lame man asked Peter and John for money. And Peter just said, stand up and walk. The man stood up and he walked and he started leaping and praising God. And there were times where Jesus said, was talked about us saying to mountains, get up and be thrown into the sea. I believe that there is a place for miracles where, you know, when God's people walk in them, they can speak to things and things will happen because it's what God wants to do. And when we have a conviction that God's power is present and he wants to do this or he wants to do that then we can speak those things. And I believe those things will happen if it is actually the will of God in that particular situation. I believe that God's going to heal all His people and everything about all His people. But I believe that there are special occasions where God is going to do it now. And when we see God do a miracle now, when we see a sign, when we see a wonder, when we see a healing, when we see something supernatural, those point us to the coming kingdom of God, where all the brokenness, where all the sickness, where all the disorder and all the chaos are going to be put in place, put back into place the way they were originally designed to be. So many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. What is Solomon's portico? It's this really big covered area near the temple. So you had the temple, and that's where the Jewish people gathered to worship. And then you had this big exterior area, this big court, you know, that was inside of another large wall. And on one side of this large court, there was this covered area. 
Jesus did a lot of miracles there. If you're familiar with that story where Jesus turned over the tables because he was so angry, because people were taking advantage of God's people and trying to make a buck when they shouldn't have been making a buck the way that they were in that place. That's where this is happening. And so it became a gathering place for God's people. They would gather there to worship. People rightly say that the early church met in homes, but there was also a larger gathering that was taking place. And it was taking place there in the temple. Now, I will say this. Eventually, they get kicked out of this area, but that's where they are. So many Christians today will tell us that I can be a Christian and I don't have to go to church. And I know the way so many churches are, and the many with the experiences that many of us have had in life, I understand why people feel that way. I understand why people don't want to go to church. But there's a problem with that way of thinking. Nowhere in the Bible do we see someone who loves God refusing to gather with God's people. Every example of strong faith that we see in the Bible, it is a strong faith that leads them to be a part of a group of people that also love Jesus and that also have faith. The Bible says that the church is the body of Christ. And some of us are fingers and some of us are big toes and one of us might be the little toe and we've got knees and hips and elbows and things like that, right? And it says that Jesus is the head. Well, if I'm a hip, I've never seen a hip that was doing very well when it was detached from the rest of the body, right? And if I'm a finger in the body of Christ, I'm not going to be much good if I'm not attached to the hand and hanging out with the other five fingers very often, am I? So this idea that I can follow Jesus or I can have my own privatized spirituality where I don't have to deal with other people, where I don't have to talk with people about my faith or where I don't have to actually do anything to serve one another... The Bible has absolutely, it does not permit that, not for a single moment. The Bible also says that God's people are placed in a family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. But some of us want to be like an only child who doesn't have any brothers and sisters, right? Well, God doesn't have any only children. He doesn't. If you belong to Jesus, then God is your father. And everyone else who has God as their father is also a brother and sister. Some, uh, some people who follow God try to live like only children. When the truth is, anyone who follows God needs to feel like one of my kids at my house who has six brothers and sisters, okay? Because that's how God has designed it. We don't have a single example in Scripture of a Christian who does it all by himself without other Christians. Moving on, we get to verse 13. It says that none of the rest dared join them, but the apostles... I'm sorry, but the people held them in high esteem. When I first started reading through this, I I was thinking, okay, this must mean that the other church people didn't join the apostles in doing miracles. That, That was like, okay, that's what is being said here. The apostles were the only ones, and the rest of the church people were looking up to them. They held them in high esteem, and they weren't going to dare do a miracle with them. But as I read... I've taken a different view, and and I think what it's being said here is that the people who weren't following Jesus and walking with God um, were looking at those who were following Jesus and walking with God, and they held them in high esteem. Now, which of the two options could it be? 
The truth is, from what I read from the commentaries and from what I understand from the original language, it could be either way. The man who wrote this, his name is Luke. He's usually very precise. He's usually very specific. You usually know what he's talking about, but not in this case. It really could go either way. But I lean towards the view that the unbelievers, the people that were outside of Solomon's porch, looking at the Christians, gathering and worshiping God, they held them with high regard and high esteem. They admired them. They knew that God's people were the real deal. So, I ask you this. Verses 12 and 13, everything we've read about. Can all that happen today? Yes, it can. Yes, it can. I believe that with all of my heart. That every bit of this can happen today. So if that can happen today, can verse 14 happen today? And now... More than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Somebody pointed out at my table something that I hadn't seen in my study of it this week. And that's the more than ever part. Like there's already been many thousands of people that have believed in Jesus. But here, more than ever, believers are being added to the Lord. And it says both men and women. See, for the Jewish temple at this time and the Jewish religion, the men had a privileged status. Okay, and the women didn't get to participate in some things. But as Luke writes this, he wants everyone to know that the women are flocking in too and that, that we're all equal before God. There are some ways in which men and women have different roles, but men are not better than women and vice versa. No, we have equal dignity and worth and value before God. And you know what, ladies? You can go into the presence of God just like us men can. He doesn't listen to us before he listens to you. He listens to all of his children. And that is a beautiful thing. So, can verse 14 happen today? Are we content with only one or two households coming into the kingdom of God or coming into Hope Fellowship a year? How would you... you Y'all, we're a pretty comfortable tight knit group here, right? Okay, you know, if, if you attend here regularly, you know what we do. We're small enough. We're extra small today. Half the people that go to this church are out of town today. So be it. That's fine. But, you know, we know each other pretty well here. What if the church doubled in size in the next month? Would you be okay with that? Yeah. Can you handle the change that that would require? We would need people to lead discussions at tables every week that usually don't. Would you be ready to step up into that? The building would get a lot dirtier. We'd need more people to help clean. It would require a lot more. You know, we've had seven kids in, in what, 12 and a half years now. And with every new kid, there's a little bit more work to do in our house. So, so if this little church family doubled in size in a month, we can't expect things to be the same around here. If things are going to grow here, we've got to be ready for change and we've got to be ready to do our part. Some of you here, you might feel like you're on the maybe you're not as knowledgeable about Jesus as most of the other people here. You might feel like maybe more of a younger believer than some of the other people here. But if brand new babies are born into the family of God, guess what? You're the big brother. You're the big sister. 
And you have a responsibility to do things for these newer brothers and these younger baby sisters. Just as Guy and Courtney just had little Benjamin, what, 9, 10, 11 days ago. I got to meet him yesterday. That was fun. You know, Benjamin has a five-year-old and a two-year-old sister. Guess what? That five-year-old and that two-year-old, they're going to contribute to the growth of this little guy, right? And that's how it happens when the church grows. Now, why is the church growing like this? I want to propose to you about five things that I think are contributing to this growth. Number one, we see there's proclamation of the message of Jesus. Okay? Now, I'm going to... I'm going to give a... I'm going to give an illustration that... Just go with, go, go with it here, okay? We all know how babies are made, right? And babies can't be made without doing that, right? Sometimes I think people in the church think that people can get saved without hearing the gospel. We pray and we pray and we pray for some family member or some friend or neighbor to get saved. But we're absolutely unwilling to open our mouth and tell them the story of Jesus. Or we're absolutely unwilling to invite them to church. We're unwilling to share with them the story of how Jesus changed our life. Well, if new kids can't be born into a family without a husband and wife coming together to do what they do to make a baby, you know, then why in the world would we expect a new spiritual baby to be born if he never hears the gospel from God's people. One of the reasons so many people are coming to the Lord is because at this period of time in the church, people are speaking about the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And they're saying, Jesus is the Savior. He's the Messiah. He's the Lamb of God who takes the sin of the world away. And Jesus loves you so much that if you come to Him... He'll take your sin away. He'll make you new. He'll give you a brand new start. See, the apostles, and I believe others, are speaking this. And as people hear this message, they go to Jesus. Their sin is taken away, and God gives them a new start. God gives them a new life. Or like my father-in-law's church, the name of their church is Fresh Start Church. God gives them a fresh start. Everything changes for them because now Jesus has saved them and wiped away their sin. There are lots of people coming to God right now because in, in this part of the Bible because the apostles are speaking the gospel. We talk about the weather a little bit too much, y'all. We talk about politics and the news a little bit too much. We've got to talk about the gospel. Got to talk about what Jesus has done for us and what he tells us to do if we're going to see a church grow. So I believe that's one reason why the church is growing so fast here. The second reason, I believe, is, of course, because of the miracles. We learned three weeks ago that the purpose of miracles is to be a witness to the kingdom of God and to what Jesus has done. We saw that in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. We went deep into that. We looked at probably a dozen other scriptures that said just about the same thing. So they were doing miracles. Those miracles were teaching all the outsiders about the kingdom of God and about Jesus' power in our world today. What does Jesus do? He takes broken things, broken people, and he makes, he fixes us, he repairs us, he makes it right, he makes things new. And that's what a miracle is, right? God takes something in the world that's broken because of sin and he puts it back together 
again. And so I believe that's another reason why the church is growing at this time. A third reason, if we think about the passage two weeks ago, is their generosity. Everyone shared the things that they had. They were not a stingy people. But all of the Christ followers, you know, some were wealthier than others, right? And that's the way it is in any group of people. But everyone shared with others as they had need. And there was no want or poverty among them. Who doesn't want to be a part of a group of people like that? And then we have what happened last week where there were hypocrites in the church. God killed them. And it said in two places in last week's passage that the people feared. People saw. People knew that if you were in Solomon's porch, then you were a godly person. And if you were faking it in there, then you better run. (laughs) You better be careful because you might end up like Ananias and Sapphira. So the, these early Christ followers, they had a reputation of being truthful and honest people. They were the real deal. They didn't just dress up one way on Sunday morning and then do whatever they wanted to the other six days of the week. No, they were the real thing. There was holiness among them. And that holiness was attractive. And, and I believe it was transforming to the other people in Jerusalem at this time. So we get into verse 15. And verse 15 is interesting. It tells us some specific ways that people were healed. It's kind of a strange way, isn't it? Peter's walking through town. And they, they sick people just hoped that Peter's shadow would go across them. And then they could be healed. He had so much power flowing out of him that even if they were in the presence of his shadow, if they were near him like that, that they would be healed. So two other miracles come to mind where that type of thing happened. Well, first off, I wonder, did Peter know that they were getting healed as he walked by? I don't know. I think about the woman who was bleeding for 12 years. Jesus was going from one city to the next. And she ran up to him in the crowd and she touched his garment and he felt power flow out of him. And she was healed when none of the doctors or physicians could help her for, for you know, 12 years she had been sick. I think about in Acts chapter 19, there were handkerchiefs and clothing that had touched the Apostle Paul and they were being carried to sick people. And when those handkerchiefs and clothing came to the sick people, the sick people were healed. Y'all, that's intense. And the joke was made at my table earlier, and I loved it. It was hilarious. Uh, we, we, we can um, conclude that Peter probably healed more people in the evening when his shadow was bigger. <laughs> so <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. When's your best shot to get healed by Peter? A few minutes before the sun goes down, right? When your shadow's bigger. <laughs> so we get to verse 16. And what we're seeing here is the spreading out. Of the kingdom of God. It's not just in Jerusalem. But the news of God's rule and reign over this world. The news of the saving power of Jesus Christ. Is spreading out to the neighboring towns. Now nobody's leaving Jerusalem yet. To go to other places. Jesus did tell them that. He says go into all the world. And make disciples of all nations. Baptize them. Teach them. To do everything I've commanded. And I'm with you always. Jesus had told them. So they're supposed to go. But they haven't done that yet. But you know what's starting to happen? People are starting to come. 
People are starting to come. It says, The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. You lived in Bethany, a few miles down the road from Jerusalem. You lived here. You lived there. You had a sick loved one. You knew that people were getting healed in Jerusalem. What are you going to do? You're going to take them there, right? Amen. You're going to take them there. Because you want what's best for your loved one and for your friend, right? Mm -hmm. And isn't that a picture of how God's people should be taking their broken friends and their broken family members to the church and to Jesus? It is a, a big, really big picture of that. But when I look specifically at what's happening, they're bringing the sick. They're bringing two groups of people, the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits. What's an unclean spirit? We, we all know what sick people are, but what's an unclean spirit? You all, it's a demonic spirit. Now, it is true that God created angels probably way before he created Adam and Eve. And that those angels, one of them, wanted to be like God. And God said, no, you can't be like me. I am the uncreated, all-powerful one, and you are created with limited power. And I don't know that God said that. I'm just... Thinking out loud, trying to describe the situation a little bit. And he's like, no, I can't share my power with you. I'm the only one true God. You can't be God. And that angel turned away from God, rebelled against God, and has sought to defeat God and overthrow God's rule and reign. And one of the ways that he did that is he took other angels with him. And these angels, we know them as demons, they seek to do the work of Satan in our world today. And I will tell you, there is demonic activity throughout our world, including our own county. Mm -hmm. Including what? Our own county, locally. There is demonic activity. They don't want to be seen, but I promise you, it is taking place here. And I believe with all of my heart that there will be times... Where some of us in this room, maybe all of us in this room, will take a part in removing demons from people. And I believe that that can happen in this room. I believe it can happen wherever people are that are being tormented by demons. Now, what is this work? This work is God's kingdom coming. Jesus taught his disciples to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does it mean that God's kingdom comes? That means... It becomes clear that God rules and God reigns. See, God's kingdom is wherever people follow him. So if you've made God your king, then God's kingdom is wherever you are. And, and you bring his kingdom wherever you go as you follow Jesus. And as you live under his rule and reign, you have the opportunity to extend God's rulership and his supreme reigning power wherever you go. And you know what God does for his enemies over and over again? You know what God does for people who don't follow him? You know what God does for lost sinners? And all of us either are lost sinners or we were one at one time. Every single, what God does for us is he takes us and he makes us new. He restores the brokenness. As we make him our king, as we believe in him, as we trust him, he brings healing into our lives. You all, that's exciting. You all, that's powerful. 
you all, these miracles, these exorcisms, the demons fleeing, and we're going to see more of that as we go through the book of Acts in, in the months ahead. All of this is a sign that God rules and that God reigns and that He is making all things new. So here's what I want to ask you today. In this passage, it says more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Have you been added to the Lord? Have you believed in Jesus? I'm not asking you, do you think the Bible's true? I'm not asking you, do you believe in evolution? I'm not asking you, have you been hurt in church? I'm not asking you how you've lived your life. I'm asking you, have you believed in Jesus as Savior and Lord? Have you turned to Him knowing that you don't have a Savior? Have you realized that you have sinned against God and that you're guilty before Him? And have you come to Him knowing that He's the only one who can take your sin away? He's the only one that can guarantee you a life in heaven with God forever. He's the only one. Have you been added to the Lord? Are you a part of His family? If not... If you're not a part of your family, what do you do? You believe in Jesus. You trust Him. You follow Him. He will take all your sin away and He is good. He loves you enough to accept you as you are. And He loves you enough not to let you stay where you are. But He wants to take you to a new place. He wants to take you to a better place. He wants to heal and He wants to deliver you from the sin and the evil in your life. And He wants to change everything for you. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. You can't force His hand. But you can receive it as a gift. Like a child receives a gift on Christmas morning. They've done nothing to deserve it. It's all free. That's how God gives gifts. And if you want that gift of a relationship with God, if you want to be added to the Lord as these people are, if you want to know that you'll be in heaven with God forever once you die, then come to Jesus and say, Yes, Lord Jesus. I want everything you have for me. And he will save you as you do that. Let's pray together.